Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Luke. Back to chapter 8, and we're going to cover in depth ground that we covered a little bit last Sunday. We're going to start in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. He said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you're in this crowd, and you hear that parable might be a little confusing to you. Jesus is beginning to speak in parables, and he will continue in this way through much of Luke. And so we're getting into a period of time where we begin to seek out the meaning of parable. And why does parable matter, and why would Jesus speak in parable? Well, parable is fundamentally story. And story matters because we remember story. We remember from story all sorts of things, truths, laws, rules. And the better the story, the more memorable it might be. For example, nowadays we think of old fables, Aesop's fables, for example, or we think of the stories of Hans Christian Andersen, and they have kind of cutesy things in them, or they're stories about witches or about animals, and we kind of get to the end of it, and there's a little uh, meaning to the parable, to the story. Well, Olivia went back and read some of the original Hans Christian Andersen and some of the original stories. And would you know, in the original stories, before we kind of nice them up for children, there's a lot of death and dying. There's a lot of, like, exciting bits to those stories that we don't give to our kids nowadays because it's scary. Inevitably, the children in each of those stories actually die. They don't get away. And the intention of those stories was to teach children, you better be careful or else you're going to die. You better act right or else someone's going to kill you. Well, fortunately, Jesus does not have those kinds of parables or fables. His intention of his stories was not to make little children afraid, but rather to make adults confront the realities of their lives and what they assume is true versus what is really true. But there's another reason that he had to speak in parables. is because a lot of what he was saying would not be understandable until he were to go to the cross. A lot of what Jesus was saying was not completely revealed to his audience as being the full truth of his death and his resurrection. And so were he to sit down and say to everybody, well, the kingdom of God is me, and I'm the king, 
and you're going to kill me, and then I'm going to come back in three days, and then a while after that, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and fill you, and that's how you're going to live this new thing called the Christian life. It'd be like going back to the Civil War era and explaining to them a tank. <laughs> They'd be like, what? There's a fully enclosed, iron-clad thing with giant bullets that we can shoot out of it? Why are we stabbing each other? We should go get a tank. It wouldn't make any sense to them. Or try going back 50 years, and some of you were alive then, and explaining the internet. What? You mean my picture is going to go everywhere in the entire world like that, and I can watch videos from every language in every country under the earth, and I can you know, watch sports through a screen, and I get to choose to pause the sports? It wouldn't make sense. You see, Jesus in his parables was telling of truths that were not yet going to be real, but soon would be. Well, his disciples weren't happy that he spoke in parables at first. So he comes to them and they come to him and says, what does this mean? And he says, to you, you get to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The they in that passage is the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Jesus is saying to you, my followers, I will give a full-orbed understanding of what to expect and what this means. But to all the rest, to these masses of crowds that, that are gathered, and to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that would follow Jesus around trying to get him, they were the lawyers, right? They would come behind him and find everything he said wrong. He spoke in parables. And that word there, seeing they might not see and hearing they might not hear, is a word that comes out of the Old Testament, or I should say a phrase that comes out of the Old Testament, that God would use with reference to his own activities towards the nation. I'm going to do a thing which in your days you will not understand. It will be so outlandish that you can't even comprehend it in your brain. You can't put it up there. It's too confusing to you. So he explains the parable to his disciples. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now that's a double meaning. We have the word of God before us here. For his audience, there would have only been one meaning, which was the Old Testament word of God. The word of God was what we received up until before Jesus. But we also know from the book of John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, uh, the seed is the Word of God, they're thinking the Old Testament. We're thinking the Bible. What we ought to be thinking is the Bible and Jesus himself. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And what I'm going to do now for each of these four soils is actually talk about each one for a couple of minutes and then pray. Because what you're going to see in each of these four soils is somebody that you know, it might even be yourself, that needs 
to hear this. Maybe it's somebody in your life, and again, maybe it's you. The first soil is the hard pack of walking. It could be that he was referencing, say, a Roman road. You know, Rome was famous for its roads. And the reason why the Roman Empire spread so quickly and was so efficient in governing the largest landmass of any government before its time is because of their roads. All roads lead to Rome, was the phrase. And a Roman road can still be used today. There are still roads that you can travel on that were built before Jesus because they knew how to build a road. Nowadays, we build a road, we cut it down maybe 18 inches to three feet, we get rid of all the rocks, we pour a bedrock layer of some substrata, then we get some concrete, and then we top it off with asphalt. In those days, they would dig roads down as much as 12 to 15 feet. And then they would begin layering different layers and then compacting those layers in order to make sure that there was a functioning bedrock and then there would be drainage layers, and then over top of that, they would put the stone and the sand, which would finish the road. They would have as much care when it came to their other buildings as well. That's why we love traveling to a place like Rome and seeing construction that dates back not just centuries, but millennia, thousands of years. So it could be that Jesus is referencing a Roman road. It would have been known in those days under Herod. Herod was known as Herod the Builder because he was such a good builder. He built a port and he built all sorts of things in Jerusalem and all around the time of Israel that people would have seen these roads being built. And people would know one thing about a Roman road. It was hard, impermeable. You did not find weeds growing up through the cracks of a Roman road. And so a Roman road is a hard heart. How does a hard heart get formed? It gets trampled upon. It gets crushed. It has negative experiences early in life, perhaps even through the church. I had a meeting with somebody just last week talking about how difficult it was for him in his college years. To be able to follow Jesus. He ran away from Jesus. The devil used him. Why? Because as a child, his father abused him. His father, a pastor, abused him. There are many in our lives that you know who have suffered from the church of Jesus Christ and from pastors. I'll never forget the girl cutting my hair. And I said, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, my granddaddy's a pastor. I said, oh, do you go to church? She didn't even answer. She just said, yeah, he was a mean man. And there are a lot of people that you know and that I know that perceive God, that perceive Jesus, that perceive the Bible through the lens of those who took this and twisted it with utmost wickedness to accomplish the most evil things. And that hard-packed dirt you can go to it and you can proclaim the name of Jesus over and over and over again. But all that's going to happen is the devil's going to use that hard pack to keep plucking away the gospel. It's never going to stick. What needs to happen to the hard pack? Well, we had soil in our backyard that was pure, 
North Carolina red clay. And my wife loves to have me move plants. It's just a thing. I didn't say plant the plants, because if I just planted it once, I'd be okay. No, it was kind of like, that plant there really needs to go over there. I say, but it's been here two years. Yeah, but it's not right. And so when you're moving a plant, you have to look at the soil. And the first thing you do is find out what kind of soil is. And if it's North Carolina red clay, you have to dig it out and get rid of it. You don't take some uh, fertilizer and spread it on the clay because all you're going to get is smelly clay. And so for these people who have had their lives trampled, for those that are on the road, if you want to plant a tree in the road, what are you going to do? You cut a hole in the road and you put good soil in there. What we have to do for these people is pray for a new heart and not give them any more reason to harden it. For those that have been stung by the church and hate the name of Jesus, throwing more seed on top is not going to fertilize that heart. We have to dig deeper. We have to be willing to dig into that hard-packed soil and say, what led to this hardness of heart? To where when I say the name of Jesus, you only want to curse it. And you might hear some things that hurt your feelings. I'll never forget when I went to a teenage girl's house and I sat down and her parents were trying to get the girl to change her heart and love Jesus. And that girl was rebellious and wicked to the nth degree. And she sat down in the chair opposite me and I said, hi, I'm Pastor Ben. And she gave me a, a, a two-handed welcome appropriate for a New York, a New York taxi. And I won't explain what that is because there's young children, but those of you that are adults know that she gestured in a certain way, one in each hand, that indicated to me that she did not enjoy my presence, but rather would wish that I would leave. And you know what I didn't say to her? Yeah, Jesus, you better accept him. Or, no, I just said, what's gone wrong in your life? What's happened to lead you here? A lot of times when people are that angry, something in their past needs to be addressed by God's people to show that we actually care about them. Who hurt you? And I'm sorry that they did. Who used the name of Jesus to destroy your life? And how can I show you that that was a lie? We've got to dig down into that hole and plant new soil. Let's pray for these people. God, as we consider this first group, maybe you have brought names to mind here in this church who used to come to this church, but were hurt by somebody or something that they heard or had a family situation of abuse or anger or harsh words, and they no longer care about the name of Jesus. Lord, would you equip us to do the work of digging through to that subsoil to find out where the hardness begins, to find out why, why they hate Jesus. We know we're all inclined to hate you. That's our natural status. But Lord, there are those for whom that bedrock was covered over in a foundation in a road, Lord, that is impermeable. 
Help us to do the work of healing in the hearts of those who have been damaged and hurt and trampled upon. So that when the word is planted or scattered, when the name of Jesus goes out, the devil has no ability to pluck it away. Amen. Second soil is rocky soil. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. I, I've recently been out to the Grand Canyon. And as you drive around that area, southwestern Utah into Arizona, for the first time in my life, I really understood what rocky soil meant. Like I always thought rocky soil was what my grandfather had me do up in upstate New York. I stayed there for a summer and I did something that every farmer enjoys foisting upon their grandchildren, which is pick rocks. I said, Grandpa, I'm here for the summer. What am I gonna learn how to do? He said, see those rocks? You're gonna get them out of the dirt. So you go, you pick the rocks. I thought, wow, that's rocky soil. No, 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 then you're out west and you go, everything's a rock. You, you, like, there's no picking rocks out of this soil because then there just wouldn't be anything. It'd be empty, it'd be devoid. But nevertheless, there's plants. There's a forest. There's birds and animals that live amongst that rocky soil. This would have been common in the days of Jesus. To this day, you can get on a map and you can see what it looks like in Israel. You could see where there's rocky soil and sloped soil and you could see where there's outcroppings and hills and places that are barren. And the parable says that the rocky soil doesn't get taken away by the devil, but rather by a time of testing. You see, when you plant a seed on rocky soil, there's enough crevices there that the seed can begin to grow. I mean, after all, we've all had a lima bean in a bag with a wet paper towel. A seed can begin to sprout just about anywhere, and you can see the beginnings of that inkling of growth as you see the seed turn into a plant. Well, if a seed can do that in a bag, then it can do that even on rocky soil, provided there's some moisture in the air, and we would see there was 71,000 acres that were burned in the Kaibab forest just north of the Grand Canyon. And you could see all this burnt out, completely ruined forest, and yet nevertheless, along the edges were seedlings beginning to replenish. So plants can grow in rocky soil, but what they can't do is survive a fire. They can't survive a flood. They can't survive heavy winds and turmoil because the seed has never penetrated the heart of the person. This was me when I was in middle school and high school. I looked like a Christian. I could say all the right things, and I had that kind of baby Christian feel to me. It was like, oh, there's Ben. He's becoming a, a godly young man, but that was it. Out of the rest of my life, I, I uh, cussed like a sailor. I invented words the kids use today. I, I was filthy. 
And I, I was addicted to things online, and, and I, I just I gave no care or concern for the Word of God outside of when people saw me at church. And what happens when you're that kind of person is when something happens to you that is negative, you immediately react by cursing God. I'll never forget that I was failing a test, and I was laying in bed, literally shouting curses on the name of Jesus because I was failing a test at school. Because I had faced a little bit of hardship, just the tiniest little bit. And I thought, God, I'm good enough for you on Sunday morning. How come you're not giving me what I want? Maybe this is you or maybe you know somebody like this who hears the word and receives it with joy, but is happy to just stay on that superficial level. Never let it dig down and penetrate their heart. Never let it go anywhere to where it does anything to actually change their every single day. They're the type, and I have nothing against Christian radio. I like Christian radio, but they're the type that immediately delete all of the radio stations on their radio and replace it with only Christian radio so that on the off chance the pastor gets in the car with them, all the pastor might hear is Christian music. <laughs> Y'all, I don't care. But that's the kind of person. They're the type that might come in with the biggest Bible you've ever seen, but it's never been opened. Because they're excited, but there's nothing there underneath. The pathway forward for these people is to develop roots. And how do we as the church help them dig down roots? How do we in our own lives dig down roots? Well, you have to do just that. You have to dig. You have to hit at the points of faith that are difficult. My faith grew the fastest my freshman year of college when I was most challenged by the secular world and its thinking. When I had to get online and listen to Ravi Zacharias' sermons and read books for myself. When I had to grow, there was a biodome. Do you remember this back in like the 80s and 90s? They built a big biodome and they were going to replicate uh, an enclosed biodiverse system in order to do all sorts of experiments. And they built this biodome, right? And after 10 years, they had beautiful big trees that grew. And then after 11 years, every single tree fell over and collapsed. Why? Because there was no wind in the biodome. It never had to grow strong roots. It never had to have that strength. To this day, if you work out a muscle, if I'm working out a muscle, you know what you're doing to grow stronger muscles? You're actually tearing. You're causing micro abrasions and tears in your muscles so that your muscles rebuild stronger when they rebuild through the proteins coming into your muscles. It's why people that don't work out and don't move lose their muscle mass because they're no longer working and injuring their muscles in order to cause them to grow stronger. Or as any good orthopedist will tell you, that a bone broken in childhood and healed will never break in the same place again. Because that child, when he broke, my left arm is so strong because I shattered it as a kid. And this arm won't break again, not in the same place. 
In order to overcome testing in our lives, we have to be tested in our lives. And we have to bring on those tests into our lives by challenging ourselves through the Word and through books and through sermons. If you feel like you have a superficial, rootless faith that's exciting but has nothing lasting, now's the time to dig deep and build foundations, grow roots. Lord Jesus, would you cause us to be a people who are deeply rooted, not the superficial type. Lord, would you cause us to be a church that produces disciples of our Lord Jesus who do not fall as soon as the first wind hits them, but rather we constantly strengthen each other, sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Lord, not in order to tear down each other's faith, but rather to build it up. As your word says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but many kisses are on the lips of our enemies. Lord, would we be the kind of church that rebukes, the kind of church that rebuilds, the kind of church that is constantly in the business of restoring each other's faith through trial. Amen. The third soil. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. You see, all of us have weeds surrounding us. We're born sinners. And as we grow, we're surrounded by sinners and sinful people and sinful thoughts. There's no bubble. No matter how much we might want to educate our children in the Christian sense and make sure that they're protected from the world, there's no bubble that we can create that's good enough to keep anybody from having weeds get planted in their heart. Children will be filled with the seed of weeds. Every bag of grass has weeds in it. Have you ever bought a bag of grass and actually looked at the label? 80% seed, 10% fill, 10% noxious weeds. So even when you're planting good grass, you're still planting weeds, no matter how hard you try. How depressing is that? I just spent 50 bucks on a bag of seed and I'm laying it on the ground and I'm like, 10% of this, $5 is weeds. That I'm gonna have to spend another 50 bucks next year replacing with another $5 worth of Weeds and weeds grow and produce seed faster than good grass. So as you plant that 10% of weeds, it grows up and produces more weeds faster than the fescue. Why did we start with fescue? What a dumb plant to start with. <laughs> Sorry, that was just your pastor being honest. <laughs> we are all surrounded by weeds. The business of Christianity is constant pruning and weeding. That's the business of Christianity, to keep the soil clear from those weeds. But weeds can be very attractive. They have flowers to them. My wife, who is a gardener, loves when certain weeds get their flowers on them. And she actually will not let me mow the lawn for two weeks. 
honey, those have just flowered. You can't mow the lawn. I'm like, it's, it's weeds. Yeah, but they're pretty weeds. I'm only using her as an illustration today twice because she's a gardener. So I've learned much from her. Well, the thing about weeds is if you let them go unchecked, they choke out what you want. So weeds look good. They might even have appealing characteristics to them. But if what you really want is to produce a certain kind of fruit, those weeds are going to stop it before the fruit can ever be produced. So we have to pluck the weeds out. We had an example of this this week as the leader of Liberty University had scandal upon scandal finally revealed. I heard recently of another pastor from many years ago who is probably going to see some of his legacy of ministry eradicated because of sins that he was doing in those days that have just now come to the light. You see, if we don't actively, continuously pluck out the weeds, then the Word of God cannot bear fruit in our lives. And Jesus particularly talks about some of those weeds. He says, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. The cares, the riches, and pleasures of life. We tend to think of the weeds as being an outside attack. Oh, the devil's out to get me. Or, oh, this person said something mean to me. No, that's the first and the second soils. Notice in the third soil, Jesus does not mention hardship. And he doesn't mention the devil. He mentions good stuff. In our day, he might say it was planted and it grew. But then it's concerns for its retirement account. It's 401k. It's cars. It's house. It's money, it's a job, it's prestige. Choked out the fruit. I know many who felt called to ministry as young people that are now working in a secular field of business. And there's nothing wrong with working in a secular field of business if that's your call. But if your call is to ministry, you'd better do it. Miriam got up and said that what was her temptation? Not to say anything today. Be easier to be silent than to share about something like dreams, which are very personal and can make you look like someone who's different. But then she said, if I didn't listen to the voice of God, I would be disobedient. This third crowd, you know people, you know people who let the word of God give way to wealth and pleasure. Maybe you are on the verge of having that happen in your life where the cares of this world have become so overwhelming that you're ready to abandon the walk of faithfulness because to choose Jesus might be to choose poverty or giving up a pathway that you have already chosen for your life. But you don't want to give up that pathway. Lord God, would we be people who actively weed out whatever would be set up as an idol in our hearts to take your place and choke out the fruit that you want to produce in keeping with righteousness in our hearts. 
And Lord, for those that we know in our lives that are on that verge, would we pull them back from the edge of, of, of walking that path? Would we say, don't go there? Don't go there. You could become a king in this world and forfeit your soul. Don't go there. Amen. Jesus ends on a high note. The last soil, the good soil. As for the good soil, there are those who, upon hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and a good heart, and they bear fruit in keeping with patience. You know, a lot of fruit takes years to develop. If you plant an apple tree, you're not going to get a harvest until probably two to four or five years or longer after you've planted that apple tree. Pear trees are the same way. And then when you think of trees that produce nuts, like walnuts and almonds and others, those are even longer. Or if you're trying to plant a vineyard for grapes in order to uh, produce wine or drink grapes, you're talking about years, years, decades. Patience in the word while weeding out all the other things that would take the place of the word does produce fruit. And it's good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit we know of. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I don't know anybody who has one of those markers of their character that other people are like, ah, he's so patient, it's awful. He's so loving, what a terrible person. It's good fruit. The Word produces good fruit in us. Joy, what a fruit to have. If you know a joyous person, you are lucky because there's such a joy to be around. If you know a peaceful person, you call them when you have trouble because you know they're going to impart some peace in your life that you have lacking. If you know a faithful person whose faith has been unshaken, Despite hardship, you lean into them because their faithfulness comes uh, all over. It just, it just fills your heart. That's why I was so glad a couple weeks ago when we were able to share Connie's story of faithfulness in the middle of her cancers. Because her faithfulness is infectious. It's a fruit that gets shared. People oftentimes take this text, and I don't want you to do it, and they try to splice and dice. Well, who is really saved and who isn't? Which of these four soils represents a Christian and which one doesn't? How about we change the language? Which one of these four soils produces fruit in keeping with being a follower of Jesus? Well, there's only one. And to be a follower of Jesus is to produce fruit. One final analogy, again, from my lovely, beautiful gardening wife. If that plant doesn't work in year one, it's not going to make it in her garden. She, it's gone. I'm telling you, it's rough. Being a plant in our household, you better make it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, whew, it gets tossed right in that green bin it gets taken to Winston-Salem's Compost Center, and it is done for. (laughs) 
The follower of Christ always produces fruit. It may need patience to produce. You may need time to let that seed grow. We ought to be a church of patience with our young people and even with ourselves when we struggle because that fruit takes patience. It takes time. And, and maybe it's not there yet. This is why we can't elevate people that are young to positions of authority in the church because that fruit takes time to mature and to develop and testing to make sure it's not going to fall over. And then our tendency is we see the first glimpse of fruit on the tree and we want to pluck it. But it's not ripe yet. We have a beautiful fig tree. We had one back over in Cary. The one here hasn't quite ripened yet. The one over in Cary had tons of figs. And I gave myself many a gastrointestinal problem by eating figs that just were not ripe. But they looked so good. The best figs came with patience. But in order to get fruit, what do you need? Good Soil. Good soil. Lord God, would you produce in us the fruit in keeping with righteousness by way of patience. And let us prepare our hearts with good soil to that end. In your name we pray. Amen.